Um, in recent week, or previous weeks, we've been looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, and we come to chapter 8 here today. Throughout the book, you will remember that Solomon is trying to understand the meaning of life, and he's working through different questions that he has about life. And one of those questions is, what is good and what is wise? And he tells us here in verse 2 of this chapter that it is wise to keep the king's command. So he's talking about uh, obedience to authority here in this chapter of the Bible. So why don't you look at uh, chapter 8, and um, I know the screen says that we'll read to verse 17, but uh, there's a lot to cover, so we'll look at verses 1 to 9 today. So that's Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 1 to 9. If you forgot a Bible um, under your seat, there is a Bible, so you can follow along with me. This is the word of the Lord. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from the king's presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although a man's troubles lie heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power uh, to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who practice it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. This is the word of the Lord. Why don't um, we ask for God's help in understanding it? Let's pray. O oh Lord our God, you have the words of life. And Lord, we thank you that through the scriptures you speak to us this morning. Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand your word, that you would help me to clearly and faithfully uh, teach it, and that we might all come to believe it and apply it and understand it. So Lord, we pray that you would take uh, the Bible and use it to shape our lives and send us out into this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I came across this uh, story about Corey Ten Boom. Uh, it was the year 1942. It was uh, one of the most unsettling times in world history. It was an unsettling time in, in Asia under the occupation of the Japanese. It was an unsettling time in Europe as the, the Nazis invaded uh, Holland. And there was uh, this story about Corey. One night, there was a knock on her door. It was a woman who had a simple plea. Would you take me in and would you hide me? Her husband had been taken away and put in prison because, simply for the fact that he was Jewish and she was looking for refuge. The law of the land stated that you could not, under uh, penalty of imprisonment or even death, you could not harbor Jewish people in your house. That was the law of the land. The culture of the day 
was antagonistic towards Jews. And the Ten Boom family, they're faced with a dilemma now. What do we do? Do we go with what culture is saying? Do we obey the law of the land? Or do we disobey the law of the land to save the lives of these people? Well, we know uh, from history that the Ten Boom family disobeyed the state, and they went against the grain of culture, and their faith led them to to harbor uh, these people looking for refuge. Obedience to God's law for them had severe consequences, and they ended up in a concentration camp. Now, that's a very uh, extreme example, but it illustrates the point that I want to make this morning. Sometimes in life, we face these dilemmas. Uh, Do I follow Christ, or do I follow culture? Do I obey Christ, or do I obey the law of the land? And Another question, to what extent are we required to obey the law of the land and those in authority over us? And that question requires wisdom. The book of Ecclesiastes is part of a genre called wisdom literature. And so it offers us some wisdom here for living today. And this morning, as it relates to the text, I want to ask you three questions. The first question is this. Do Christians need to, should we obey authority? Question two, should we always obey authority in every circumstance, no matter what? And then question three, are we free to do whatever we want? Well, you're not free to do whatever you want right now because you have to listen to uh, me this morning. (laughs) So those are my three questions. Uh, Question number one, uh, do do we as Christians need to obey authority I think the answer is quite clear if you look at your Bibles. Uh, verse 2 says, I keep the, king, keep the king's command. Why? Because of God's oath to him. Uh, you could uh, understand it, that statement this way. Keep the king's command because God put the king on the throne. The king has his crown because God has given him the authority to rule. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul actually says something very similar a thousand, nearly a thousand years later. He says, let everyone be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, that doesn't mean that we blindly obey any command that any authority gives us, no matter what. And I'll explain that more in my next point. But there is a general principle here, isn't there? The principle is that As Christians, we should obey those who are in authority over us. In Solomon's day, that meant serving the king. In Jesus' day, it meant paying taxes to Caesar. In our day, it means obeying the laws that have been drafted uh, by the governors and presidents and prime ministers of our nations. And as we think about this, I want to first say and first remind you that human government is, in fact, a gift from God. I mean, sometimes, you know, uh, we, we hear about these laws that we don't like and we grumble, um, but we have to remember that government has been given up to us as a gift from God. One of the first things God did when he brought the people of Israel out of Egypt is he gave them a leader. And then not only did he give them a leader, 
but he gave them laws to help them govern uh, their nation. Laws to protect people from harm. Laws regarding murder. Laws regarding theft. Uh, he gave them laws that ensured that, uh, that their nation, the nation of Israel, would be a place of justice for the oppressed. And we need to thank God, I think, as Christians, for the governments that we have. We, have, we live in a free society. We live in... Um, and even though uh, we don't live in a perfect society and there are a lot of, uh, there's some hostility towards Christians, we still live in a nation where we get to come here every Sunday, where we get to practice our faith, where we get to sing together and worship. There are a lot of countries in the world where they don't have that opportunity. And so this is a, a reason for us to thank God for that. We should also, I think, consider how obedience to the law is good for society in general. Um, imagine a society where uh, no one uh, obeyed the law. You know? It's like um, the Wild West or Northern Territory. <laughs> you imagine going to work. I mean, people in the Northern Territory go to work, but um, imagine going to work and no one shows up. And uh, the people who do, they do whatever they want. You imagine what a nightmare that would be for Gerald, uh, just his pastoral team doing whatever they want. Can you imagine driving to work on roads with no road rules? Yeah, everyone's driving 100 kilometers an hour while on their phone uh, through a school zone. Yeah, can you imagine that world? Can you imagine a world where crime is left unpunished? Someone breaks into your house and there's no restitution, there's no uh, justice, there's no, uh, there are no courts because there is no authority, it's complete anarchy. Can you imagine that world? We need to remember as we whenever we are tempted to complain about our governments, we need to remember that the government exists to restrain evil and to prevent anarchy from happening in the world that we live in. God has given us good institutions like police and military and parliament uh, to ensure that, that our country stays safe. And when it comes to um, obedience to the law, the Bible is, is absolutely clear. We, we don't get a free pass. We don't get to, just because we're Christians doesn't mean we get to break the law. Like everyone else, we are subject to the laws of the land. And 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 tells us this. It says this, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. That, that's the key word. For the Lord's sake, submit yourselves. Because God has told you to submit yourself to every human authority. Uh, whether it is your emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong, or you can expand that to other forms of authority, your principal, the headmaster at school, uh, your parents, your boss at work. Um, and the Bible speaks of that, uh, that it's not just the government that we are called to submit ourselves to. Employees should obey their bosses. That's Ephesians 6. Children should obey their parents. That's Ephesians 6. And Christians should obey and honor their pastors and elders. That's a little bit awkward for me because I'm a pastor. But even I, I'm called to submit myself to Gerald and to the elders and, and to those who are in leadership over me. I'm, I, in a way, I submit even to the music team. When, when Emily's drafting songs, I'm kind of, I know that she knows more about music than I do. She can sing better than I can. And so I kind of submit myself to her in that way. And so, 
we, the principle here is that we should obey those who are in authority over us. And that's all well and good. But here's a question, and it might be a question that's on your mind. What if your boss is a jerk? My boss is not a jerk, don't worry. <laughs> what, if, what if you have a difficult boss? What if you have difficult parents? What if you have, uh, what if the government ends up uh, being the Green Party and you don't like their policies? Um, what if the government bans the use of plastic straws as they did here in Victoria? I hate that law and I don't want to obey it. Um, because I hate drinking through paper straws. What do we do? What do you do in situations like this where uh, the government has made decisions that you don't particularly like? And I'm not talking about decisions that are, are morally wrong. I'm talking about neutral, morally neutral decisions and, and things that you just don't like. Well, we need wisdom for dealing with that. I think the general principle first is that, that we are called to obey um, those rulers. Chapter, this chapter also answers that question. Look at verse 2. Um, we read that we are to obey the king, keeps the king's command because of God's oath to him. And then look at verse 3. And verses 3, 4, and 5. Solomon describes the kind of monarch. Uh, he describes a monarch who's not particularly um, reasonable. Uh, this monarch um, is an absolute monarch. And Solomon is writing in a day when there is no democracy. There are no referendums. There are no elections. He's living in a world where it's just an absolute monarch doing whatever an absolute monarch wants to do. Verse 3 indicates that, this, that, um, that you were not permitted to leave the presence of this king without being dismissed. And that's why he says, do not be hasty when leaving the king's presence. Uh, in those days, the king invited you into his presence and the king dismissed you from his presence. These are days when the ruler of the land would do whatever, he pleased, whatever pleased him. That's what verse 3 says. There was no arguing with the king or supporting a cause that the king didn't like. And you'll notice there that it says, um, it says, do not take your stand in an evil cause. And that's probably referring to uh, don't, uh, that probably means don't oppose the king. Don't uh, disagree with him uh, to his face. Well, it's not saying that we can't ever disagree with our rulers, but he's giving us some practical wisdom here, and he's saying that it might not be in your best interest to dis disagree with an absolute monarch because you might lose your head. As verse 4 tells us, here, this king's word was supreme, and no one in those days had the right to talk back to him or question him. Now, obviously, we don't live in the same days as, as Solomon. Um, but we, so some of these principles look differently today than they did back then. But I think the question is still this. Are we as Christians obligated to obey a bad king? Are we obligated, if the Green Party gets into power, I'm not saying the Green Party is good or bad, but I do have an opinion. <laughs> um, are we obligated to obey them, to respect them, to pray for them, to honor them? And Solomon says in verses 5 and 6 that this requires wisdom. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, but he says the wise heart 
will know the proper time and the just way. For there is time, a time and a way for everything, although man's troubles lie on him. And so we need wisdom for interacting with our governments. I think the general principle is that we are called to obey, but there are also situations where um, we may have to uh, disobey. And that brings me to a second question. Um, he, th there's this uh, question about when is it okay to disobey? You know, we have examples throughout Scripture of, and, and instructions about obedience, but there are also examples of disobedience in the Bible. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told by the state that they needed to bow down to a golden idol. And if they don't do it, then what? Then they'll go to the fiery furnace. And they disobeyed the state. They refused to obey. What about Daniel? Daniel refused to obey his king, right? The king and his advisor said, you must not pray. Daniel said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep praying. And Daniel ended up in the lion's den. What about the, pro the apostles who went around illegally teaching the message of Christ? They ended up in prison. And, and if we look throughout church history, we see all of these examples, really, of civil disobedience throughout church history. You see William Tyndale, he broke the law by translating the Bible into English. Chinese, North Korean, and Vietnamese Christians gather illegally to worship. Um, even the church sends missionaries to restricted places where Christians are, are not supposed to share the gospel. And so they are going into these places where it is actually illegal for them to, to speak to others about Christ. And so the question is, is that justified? Is, is there ever a circumstance where we should disobey authority? And the answer is yes. And let me tell you why. The command here is to obey the king but nowhere are we told that we must obey the king no matter what, unconditionally, in all circumstances. When it comes to authority, um, authority uh, is in a sense like a hierarchy. At the top, there's God. And then underneath God, when it comes to governing, you have human authorities. And so all human authorities answer to God. He is the ultimate authority. And so if ever there's a situation where we have to ask ourselves, do I obey this man or this woman or do I obey God? We are called to obey God. That's the biblical teaching. There are instances where we are not required to obey. Let me give you one instance. Um, when a government, an employer, a pastor, or a police officer, or a person who claims to have authority gives you an instruction that he has no authority to give. You don't need to obey that. Let me give you an example. In Canada, we, our police are called the Mounties, and they wear these red uniforms and cool hats. If you ever find yourself, if you ever encounter a Mountie on the road in Australia, and he pulls you over for speeding, and he says, you need to pay me an $80 fine, you don't need to pay him because he has no jurisdiction here in Australia. He has no authority to expect that or demand that of you. The same goes with parenting. I don't, as a, as a pastor, I don't get to tell your kids 
you know, what to eat for breakfast or which school they should go to or what they are supposed to wear. God has given parents the authority to raise their kids. And so while a pastor can, can teach from the Bible and instruct the congregation as to what parenting looks like, we don't, I don't have that authority uh, over your kids. And you would agree, I'm sure. And I don't have the authority as a pastor to um, tell you which medication to take. That's that, a doctor has that authority. So there are different spheres of authority. And um, there are, there are, we should not um, assume authority as people where we have no authority. Uh, likewise, God's law, under God's law, a judge or a politician does not have the authority to stop people from worshiping or getting baptized because God has commanded us to do those things. Um, and there's a second instance where we are not required to obey authority. I think it's an obvious instance. If, like I said earlier, if ever you are, have to decide between obeying God's law or obeying human laws, um, then God's law wins. And there's an example of this in Acts chapter 4. We have the apostles, they're, they're teaching in the name of Jesus, and the religious authorities come to them and they say, you need to stop that right now. Didn't we tell you you are not to teach in the name of Jesus? And what do the apostles say? They say, we must obey God rather than men. The principle, that principle is true across the board. You know, say, say your employer comes to you and says, I want you to lie. This is probably something that at least one of you has experienced in your life. Your employer says, I want you to lie. What do you do? Do you obey God's law or do you obey his law? Um, or a parent asks you to sin. Or uh, someone asks you to do something that you know is wrong according to scripture. You're not required to obey that command. And sometimes we have to suffer the consequences of that. And the consequences aren't always nice. Um, you look at, at extreme cases of persecution in the Middle East, and we, we thank God that we don't have to experience that here, but there are these extreme cases of persecution where people are given that ultimatum. You either, you either fall in line under the law of the land or you go to prison. And because of their faith, courageously, they choose to obey God rather than men. And so we need to remember that as we're thinking about authority. The government does not have a blank check on authority. Its powers are limited. And um, we as Christians need to remember that. But again, the principle here is the default position, is that we are to obey those who are in authority over us. And that brings me to a third question. And that third question is, um, in that third question, I'm trying to unpack uh, verses 6, 7, and 8. And the question is this, are we free to do whatever we want? Are we free to do whatever we want? That's a good question. When I lived in America, um, I would often go back and forth to Canada and my friend would sometimes pick me up at the airport in Orlando. And the first thing he would do is he'd go, do you smell that? And I'd be like, what, sewage? And he said, no, it's the smell of freedom. God under my skin. And uh, we live under this illusion 
that we are completely and utterly free to do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, no matter what. And if you're from my generation, you may have been spoon-fed this lie from the earliest of days. Um, I remember as a kid in school, my teacher saying to me, Jordan, you can be whatever you want to be when you grow up. And, you know, I thought, really? Like, I can be the most popular kid in school? Or I can be the richest person in the world? Or I can, you know, star on American Idol? I can really be whatever I want to be when I grow up? And, um, and no one can deny me that freedom? Well, obviously, she's wrong. We can't be whatever we want to be when we grow up. We can't do whatever we want to do because we live under all sorts of rules and laws. We live under authority. All of us do. But when it comes to obedience, we struggle because we don't like obeying. We really don't like people stopping us from doing what we want to do when we want to do it. And this attitude, it starts at a very young age, doesn't it? Now think of the first three words that a child learns. Mama, dada, no. Thank you. No, no, no. And these cute little children at, at such a young age are already saying no. Where do they learn that from? Why do they do that? It's because, they, because of our sinful nature. In, in, we are sinners. We, we, we naturally are inclined to, to push back against authority. We don't like people telling us what to do. And Solomon offers us some wisdom here in this chapter. He reminds us we are not free to do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it. Why? Well, he, we are bound by all sorts of laws. For example, he tells us, look at verse 7. We are bound by the law of time. He says this, For who knows what will be? And who knows? Who can tell a man what is to be? And so he points out an important truth. No one knows the future. You can't change the future. You can't go back in time and alter the past. You can't travel to the future and change the course of history. Um, you are bound to the laws of time. It is actually impossible to break the laws of time. And so there is one way that we all obey. We all obey the laws of time because we can't break the laws of time. And then in verse 8, he says this, No one can retain the spirit, or as the NIV says, no one can contain the wind. So what's he saying there in verse 8? He's saying no one can, can control the weather. Or to put it another way, you could say no one can control the laws of physics. You can't control the climate. You can't control um, gravity. You know, I can't go f stand up on the roof and think I'm free, jump down and, and, and think that I'm going to fly. Uh, that's just impossible. We are bound by the laws of physics. And... We, we must obey those laws. Likewise, look at verse 8. Verse 8 also says, um, we don't have power over the day of our death. And, you know, that's a sobering reminder, isn't it? We have no control over life. And we have no control over death. I mean, we just, uh, earlier in the service, it was announced that for uh, wonderful people have been taken from us, you know? And, and that's tragic, and that's, that's something, we live in this world that's fallen, and, and sometimes one of the struggles of life is that we have no control 
over uh, life and death. We don't have the freedom to live as long as we want. We don't have the freedom, as hard as we try, as many operations as we get, as many uh, face creams as we put on our face, we can't stop the effects of aging, Gerald. (laughs) We can't do it. Verse 8 also says, there is no discharge from war. In Solomon's day, a soldier didn't have the freedom to choose when he would go to battle or when he would come home. And likewise, um, we see at the end of verse 8 that wickedness will not release those who practice it. And and I want to focus on the the last uh, proverb here at the end of verse 8, which says, wickedness will not release those who practice it. Solomon is addressing a situation where people are tempted to obey, disobey the king because they don't like what the king is doing. And so they, uh, they organize a rebellion or, or a revolution. It reminds me of 1917. What happened in 1917? The Russian Revolution. And people didn't like the rule of the king. They did not, as Solomon says, they did not want to obey the king. And so what did they do? They killed the king. They murdered him, thinking that they would finally be free from the oppression of their government. And what ended up happening after that revolution was another, even worse, dictator came into power, Vladimir Lenin. And he and, and, and the Russian people were more enslaved under Lenin than they ever were before, for 70 years. And so what Solomon is saying is, disobeying the king, practicing wickedness, is not going to answer the question, it's not going to bring you freedom. In fact, it's going to enslave you. Sin enslaves us. And the more we sin, thinking that, you know, thinking that we'll be finally freed from the constraints of God's law, the more we sin, the more it enslaves us. And we see practical examples of that throughout the world where people sin thinking it's going to bring them freedom. They have an affair because they think, oh, it's going to I'm going to be much more free and liberated if I do, but then they discover at 70 or 80 years old that it actually ruined their life. And so wickedness does not reward those who practice it. And so again, it's all within this theme of obedience here. And he's reminding us here that we are not free to do whatever we want. And I think you understand the point here. But how does, let me ask you this, how does the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, actually come into play now? Uh, You understand that the Bible teaches we need to obey, that's the law. Uh, Well, what's the good news for us? Well, the bad news is that I think all of us struggle to obey in some way, shape, or form. Um, If you're like me, you might be a contrarian. Uh, Someone tells you to walk and you start running. Someone tells you to slow down and you speed up. Uh, some of us are like that. Some of us are, are, uh, are compliant people, but inwardly we kind of, you know, grumble and complain and we offer a kind of silent rebellion against those in authority over us. So we all struggle with obedience. Most of all, we struggle with obedience to God's word. We, we struggle with obedience to the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the God of glory. All of us here struggle with that. And we've been struggling with that since the time of our birth. Well, Jesus Christ did come to 
to, to solve this issue of disobedience. He came to do the job that we failed to do. What was the job that we failed to do? A simple command. Adam was told, you may not eat of this tree, and he did it. And then we were told by God that we are to obey him and keep his commands, and we didn't. And Jesus came to do the job that we failed to do, didn't he? Our job was simple, obey God. None of us have done that, but Jesus did. He has a perfect track record of obedience. Think about Jesus as a child. Jesus had sinful parents, parents that messed up, parents that that, uh, made mistakes, and yet Jesus still obeyed his parents perfectly. As a Jewish man, Jesus perfectly kept the Jewish Sabbath. He went to the temple. He did all that was required of him by the law. As a subject of the Roman Empire, Jesus taught Roman citizens to pay their taxes. Jesus didn't even resist arrest. He allowed himself to be detained and arrested and put on trial by the authorities, even though he was innocent. But most of all, and think of this, Jesus obeyed his Father in heaven, even though he knew it would mean his death, death on a cross. He willingly submitted himself to the cross Why? Because he knew that we were disobedient. That's why. And because of his obedience, we are forgiven. Our slate has truly been wiped clean through Christ's obedience and his his death. When God looks at us, when he looks at you as Christians who have put their faith in Jesus, he does not see you as disobedient rebels. He does not see you as uh, insolent and revolutionaries. He sees you as his beloved children because Christ obeyed for you. He treats you as if you had obeyed the law perfectly. We need to let that sink in. He's been merciful to us. We don't deserve it, but he he has done this because of his love and grace. And so the question is, how how are we to respond to that? We respond, we can respond by thanking him for his mercy. But we can also respond by by remembering what he did for us and letting that shape the way that we live. You know, if someone has been uh, loving towards you or has shown you love, then naturally you want to show them love back. If someone is generous to you, say, you know, they open up their home, they they welcome you in for a, a nice dinner, naturally there's this impulse that you have to to be generous towards others. And the same goes with obedience. Christ was obedient for us, and therefore, because of what he's done for us, our lives naturally as Christians, we want to serve him because of what he's done for us. And we know that we can't do that without his help. We know that, that we need God's grace to help us through that. Because without his grace, we are hopeless. But we remember that with his grace, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And so as we consider all these things, I want to leave you with that. And uh, why don't I lead you in prayer? Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father in heaven, Lord, we, um, we know that apart from Jesus Christ, life would be hopeless. We know that because of Jesus Christ, we have um, hope and that assurance that 
You uh, do not hold our sins against us. You do not condemn us because of our sin. But you have forgiven us because through, through Christ. Lord, we thank you for your word and the way that it instructs us. Lord, many of us have been challenged this morning. Lord, by your spirit, would you um, help us uh, to heed the warnings of this text and embrace the challenges that have been presented to us. And by your spirit, learn, learn uh, what it means to obey God. And Lord, also, for those who have, of us who need to be comforted because of the various circumstances that we are feeling that we are going through in life, would you use your word to comfort us? And Lord, ultimately, that you would send us out to be good and faithful servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.